Amen, amen. Thank you so much, Adam and Alyssa. Um, so good, so good. Amen. Um, who's excited to be back on campus? Um, happy 2021. Uh, it is such, I'm so filled with gratitude, really, to be back together on campus. I always say that um, U.S. students are truly the breath and the lungs and the life and the, and the blood and the veins on campus. So in other words, uh, campus is starting to breathe. It's coming alive again and uh, coming alive with, with new students. We had uh, just over 60 new students join our community. So um, if this is your first chapel at Northwestern, would you just quick raise your hand? I want to call you out. Don't have to stand up or like say anything. Okay, I'll just welcome you. Um, we're really grateful you're here. And um, we're thankful, so thankful you're here. And, you know, we want to, as a continuation in worship uh, this morning, want to, um, on one hand, to celebrate with gratitude that we're here, that we're together again on campus, and for some of us for the very first time. And on the other hand, we want to acknowledge that as we enter into a new year, into a new season, um, a lot of us might be coming in with different weights, different anxieties, uh, maybe different hopes or dreams for this new year that maybe already feel crushed. Um, I don't know if you saw, there was that one, one meme that had, you know, a tidal wave that was titled 2020, and then behind it was a larger one titled 2021. <laughs> you know, and we kind of kind of laugh or joke at that, but we know that there's nothing inherently special or significant of just about a new year coming. Um, but often a new year, people attach to a new beginning, want to do away with all of what 2020 was. But yet we know, as we're only 11 days into a new, this new year, um, the, the craziness hasn't stopped, the unrest hasn't stopped, the injustice hasn't stopped, the division hasn't gotten any better. And particularly one of the things that maybe some, might be prominent on your hearts and minds this morning was uh, the unrest and the rioting and uh, really the insurrection that happened at our nation's capital um, just this past week. And uh, regardless of whatever you think about that, your opinion about that, it happened. Um, and it has ramifications, and it's revealing to us that really um, politics, I think, aren't so much a creation of culture, they're a reflection of culture. And I think it further reflected um, that our culture um, and this, the world that we live in um, desperately needs the light of the gospel. And uh, our, our, our focus uh, here in chapel uh, this last year and continuing this year has been the kingdom of God. And when Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, if we're asking for Jesus' kingdom to come, it really means that we're saying every other kingdom must go. Every other kingdom must bow and knee. Every other allegiance is inferior to the superiority of Jesus as our king. And so that's why we don't have a wholehearted allegiance to a particular platform or party or president or person or group. And we want to um, stand with Jesus by standing against anything that is against his kingdom. And whether that, uh, uh, whether that is the, the hatred and the violence, um, the rioting and the unrest, you, we, could, we could slap a lot of different labels and phrases on it. Uh, but we, we're, we're against injustice, we're against racism, racism, we're against any type of supremacy, whether people title it white supremacy, political supremacy, um, my denominational supremacy, whatever it is. But as Christians, we also want to be known and we're marked not by what we're against, but what we're for. And as we look back and look around the world around us, that our hearts can beat with the very heartbeat of Christ, that we can be um, against something and we can mourn and we can lament and we can condemn, but yet more so, we move in with hearts of compassion, being agents of God's kingdom to, to share the gospel of peace that alone is able to transform us from the inside out. And so 
what we wanted to do this morning as we, be, as we continue is I invited uh, two dear friends of mine, Kenneth Granados and Tori Giblin. Uh, they serve as student leaders as our spiritual development assistants. And we wanted just to hold some space together, to go vertical together with God, to God, and, uh, and really pray and just kind of have a moment of releasing, a moment of surrendering, and re- really to do in prayer what we just sung about. And so um, I'm going to invite... Um, our brother uh, Kenneth, and then Tori's going to follow, and he's just going to read, simply read a scripture, um, give us a prompt to pray, and then pray for us, and then um, Tori's going to follow suit with that, and then uh, I believe it's going to really set us up and prepare our hearts for the message I believe God has for us that he's put in me to share with you all this morning. So, Kenneth? Good morning, Northwestern. Um, yeah, so thank you, Justin, for everything that um, you'd said. Um, over the past couple days, uh, the student leaders, uh, they meet before the rest of you guys come on campus, and we do some training and stuff like that, and just talk about the semester and how we're going to move forward. And um, obviously, we talked about um, the Capitol um, and everything that had happened there. And while I was talking to um, Justin and Tori, about these things, um, what came to mind for me was Ephesians 6. Um, And so I want to read that for us, um, specifically verses 10 through 18. And I'll be reading from the ESV. But it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances that uh, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Um. And in processing, um, I was just, in general, I was telling Justin and Tori, like, I, I'm just really afraid, um, like a lot of us are. What's going to happen to our country? Uh, how are we going to move forward? We seem so divided. And the verse that really highlighted, that was really highlighted to me in this section was verse 12, which, uh, which says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. You know, our battle is not against the Democratic Party. Our battle is not against the Republican Party. Our battle is against Satan. That is our enemy. And for centuries, Satan has used divisions like this to try to divide the church. He's used 
divisions, political divisions and things happening in different cultures and societies to separate us from the love of Christ. But that, that is not what we're called to do. Our enemies are not Democrats or Republicans. Our enemies are not black people or white people. Our enemies are not people that are more COVID safe or anti-maskers. Our enemy is Satan. And we have to be united now more than ever. I'm forgetting the reference, but um, I think it's in Philippians or it's in Romans. I don't remember. But we have to count one another more significant than ourselves. So that might mean many different things. Um, being respectful about how somebody feels with COVID. Um, being respectful of somebody's political views and what they, what they think about everything that's going on. But I just want to remind each and every one of you that Satan is working on both sides. Because the Republican Party is not the church. The Democratic Party is not the church. The church is us, all of us who believe in our hearts that Jesus Christ is Lord and confess with our mouths that he is king. Those of us who do those things are the church. And frankly, I don't see either side really doing that. So as we move into a time of prayer, um, I just want to remind you, Satan is the enemy. He's been trying to destroy us for centuries. Um, in a sense, this isn't new, and it should be expected. Um, and so I just want to take like a minute or two of just some quiet time for you guys to just bow your heads and pray um, <clears throat> and just maybe to think about whatever you're going through right now, just ask the Lord, like, Lord, in what can you strengthen me? Or, Lord, I need you to strengthen me in this. Or, Lord, help me to see what you see and not what the world is telling me to see. Um, so I'd just like to have like a minute or two of just some silent time for you guys to just pray individually and then I will pray and Tori will then come up and share what she has to say. Lord Jesus, <clears throat> I thank you for this day, and I thank you for bringing us all here and to be together. Lord, we know that these are trying times in our country. Um, but we believe that you are in control and that you hold us in the palm of your hands. Father, I pray for all my brothers and sisters here at Northwestern. I pray that we would be strong in you and in your might. I pray that <clears throat> we wouldn't make anything or believe anything as more supreme than you, Lord. I pray, God, that in our own emotions and in our own beliefs or in, or in whatever, God, that you would be supreme. Christ, that you would be exalted above all things in our lives. And Lord, honestly, if we worship political parties, if we worship different groups, if our eyes are fixed on anything else that is not you, Lord, please show us and tell us. 
correct us, Lord. Because we know that all the treasures and all the knowledge that is worth anything in this world can only be found in you, Christ. So, Lord, change our hearts. Help us to count one another more significant than ourselves. Help us to love one another as you were willing to even die for us, Lord. I pray that we would understand that the battle is not against flesh and blood, but it is against the enemy, Satan. It is against the cosmic powers of evil in this present darkness. And I pray that all my brothers and sisters here would be armored up, that they would have the helmet of salvation, that they would have the sword of the spirit, the shield of faith, the belt of truth, the gospel shoes of peace, the breastplate of righteousness. And that, Lord, that we would be um, trusting in you. I know a lot of us are afraid um, and don't know how to think, or a lot of us are angry, but, Lord, help us to rest in you because only you can satisfy us and only you can make things right. So we entrust all these things to you right now, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Kenneth. Um, so I just want to start out by reading a couple of verses from Psalm 27. Um, I'll read verses 1 through 4. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, <clears throat> this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. So I read Psalm 27 this morning, and um, specifically from the first part of Psalm 27, two words that stuck out to me were the word confident and the second one, I guess, is a phrase, um, one thing. And I just, I just realized that if all I have is taken from me, still I can be confident in the Lord because he is my light and my salvation and my stronghold. And if his presence is the one thing that I seek after above all else, I can be confident in the Lord because his presence will never be taken from me. And... Um, so in light of everything that's been going on in our country and in the world um, and maybe in our personal lives, it's so easy to, to be afraid. And that has been something that I have been struggling with in just with everything going on in our world right now. And I just realized that it's so simple. There's just one thing that we should be seeking after. And if all else is taken from us, we can still remain confident in the Lord, and even though it's simple, it's definitely not easy by any means, and um, 
but it's by, by the Lord's strength, we can do all things and nothing is impossible for the Lord and he can do in us what we can't do in ourselves. So let's just take some time right now to just surrender any fears that we might have. And second, let's ask the Lord that he would be the one thing that we seek after during this season and for the rest of our lives. God, I just want to lift up um, Northwestern to you right now, and I just pray that we would remain confident in you, God, um, whenever we are faced with any kind of fear. I just pray that we would, we would just remember who you are, that we would turn our eyes to you, like Kenneth said, and that we would realize that you are our light, God. Even when we are experiencing so much darkness, you are our light, and um, when this world is not a safe place, you are our salvation, you are our stronghold, God. And I pray that your presence would be that one thing that we seek after, God, and that you truly would be our everything, that you truly would be first in our lives, God. It's so easy to say that, but that's so hard to live out. But I just pray that you truly would be the king of our hearts and that you truly would be the head of this campus. And God, I just pray that during times of isolation or quarantine or during times of fear or, God, whatever we might continue to face in this next year, I just pray that we would diligently seek you and um, that that would be our main focus. And we thank you so much for who you are, God, and we thank you that you are the rock that we can stand on when all else is sinking sand. And we just lift up all these things in your name, um, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, uh, Tori and Kenneth. And um, we wanted to take some time to do that because we, uh, really our mission of chapel is uh, providing a daily opportunity to gather together, to encounter God together in community. And we do that through singing. We do that through times of prayer. We do that through hearing from the word. And I want to take the next few moments to share with you some thoughts on Psalm 27. So if you have a copy of the scripture, whether it's in physical or digital format, turn to Psalm 27. And uh, Psalm 27 is a, is a chapter of scripture that I believe is something that, that is completely life-altering. It's trajectory setting, and it actually, personally for me, a decade and a half ago, as I was really sitting in your shoes in this season of life as a college student, completely changed my life. That's a, the full story is, a, is for another message, but um, since then, every single year, I've gone back to Psalm 27, and um, I, I've, I've been asked, I always ask myself this question, that'll come up on screen, is this idea is what is one new thing that I'm going to do this new year to make Jesus the one thing that I pursue above all else? What is one new thing God is inviting me to do, to, to put into practice, in order that Jesus would be the one thing um, above all else that I would seek? Because you see here, Psalm 27, um, at its core, is, is this. It's, it's recognizing that our pursuit of God is what gives us confidence and courage in the face of life's difficulties, in, fa in the face of whatever challenges, in the face of whatever struggle, uh, in the face of whatever year or season or life. It's our pursuit of God that gives us the confidence and courage that we need. How many of you right now need a dose of some God confidence? 
Come on, give it a hand. How many of you need a, how many need a supernatural endowment of, 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 of courage? How many of you are walking in fear and say, I need to have the very courage of Christ living and dwelling in me? I believe Psalm 27 can be the conduit by which God could use for you to receive the confidence and the courage that you need. You, you see, I, I love the book of Psalms, and, and, and the book of Psalms really is God's divine songbook. If, if God had a, it's, you know, he couldn't do a top, 100, top 40, he had to do a top 150. If God had a, had a Spotify playlist, this, this would be it. And um, what's so beautiful about the book of Psalms is that it's so diverse that it moves from different psalms of praise to psalms of lament to psalms of complaint to, to joyful psalms to psalms of confidence like this one. And it, it, and it doesn't seem to have any particular, you know, um, order. Like, it, you know, one, it'll flow from a joyous moment to a, a, a sorrowful moment the next. And Psalm seems to reflect the dynamic unpredictability of life, right? One moment, I'm, oh, this is awesome. Next, I'm crushed. You know what? And, and so just like the nation of Israel had a song um, for every single moment and season of life, God also has a song for you and to you. And, and, and really, so as we zoom in on Psalm 27, written by uh, David, David, the great king of Israel, the shepherd warrior king, um, what's so powerful about this psalm is, is the context that we find David in. And, 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 and we can see here from even from the content of the psalm that David is being, being pursued by enemies, that he's been shut out of the house of the Lord, that, that he has been, he's parting from his father and mother, he's separated from the people of God, he's subject to slander, uh, and, and, and really his life is in danger. And yet, at this point, we know that David had been anointed king. And so what's, so what's so powerful about this is that at the very heart cry, at the very apex of this psalm is verse 4. Verse 4, David says, one thing, one thing have I asked. This, this is so amazing because David, of all the things that he could have prayed for as God's new anointed king, he could have said, God, would you destroy and obliterate my enemies, the ones on the other side, the ones that are opposing me? God, would you quicken my path to kingship? God, would you set up my fortress and my palace back into the city of Jerusalem because I'm running away from an insecure, demonically possessed king, and, 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 and yet you're still calling me to be faithful? Notice what he says. One thing. There's one thing that I can be confident in, and this is it. I'm putting all my eggs in one basket. All my chips are are cashed out for this. One thing have I asked and seek. One thing I will ask and seek. And notice here it says ask and seek. Here we have desire and action working together. In in other words, David doesn't just say, I'm not just going to desire, I'm not just going to talk about it, I don't just have a feeling about it. I'm actually going to put intentional time and effort and energy into it. I, 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 and because how many of you know the true acts of the true desires of your heart are exposed by the actions that you take, by the lives that you live? And so we have desire and action are bound up in one resolute uh, uh, emotion of life of I want to go after the Lord. And David says this that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire, or some translation says to seek him in his temple. As you see those words highlighted in the yellow, I just want to real briefly take a few moments to, to highlight each of them. First one is this, when David says, I want to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, what he's talking about is I want to pursue the very presence of God. 
This word dwell means to sit, means to rest, means to really hunker down, means to plant a stake in the ground. This, in other words, is to declare, this is my home. This is where I belong. And where does he want to dwell? In the house of the Lord. That's Old Testament language for the place that God had ordained and set up as a house where the very presence of God was palpable. That God set up and declared a house should be made for God's people to encounter his presence. That God creates a space and invites us in. And so this idea is David, he wants to be in the house of God. He wants to be in the very presence of God. Because look at the outcomes of this. Five and six, he says, For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. You see, it's this place where David finds his true protection. It says that he will be hidden in his shelter in the very holy manifest presence of God that the holy men of old wouldn't even dare to go in without proper preparation and at just the right time. So uh, any evil or any darkness that we were completely safe from. Not safe from the, maybe a physical harm or danger, but we are safe truly in the presence of God. It's in the presence of God that David finds his safety, finds his protection. But I love it, he says, and now my head will be lifted up above my enemies all around me. See, it's in God's presence that you begin to see things from his perspective. Your head is lifted up above. That You're able to kind of cut through the noise and all the chaos of what's going on. And you're actually able to see the world and the circumstances through the eyes of, of God's holy presence. And so here's what I want to invite you to do as a practical action. Build prayer sidewalks along common footpaths in your life. What do I mean, mean by that? I mean by what, what's a common footpath in your life? A common footpath is something that you do every single day that maybe you just kind of go through the motions and you don't even think about doing it while you do it. Build prayer into it so that we can continue a constant conversation and a communion with our he- holy heavenly Father. So, uh, you know, real, I use this silly example. How many you brush your teeth twice a day? Okay, good, that's most of you. Okay, that's good. You know, even, even if you didn't, you know, your masks, right, can kind of help conceal your morning breath. Um, so that's, that's always a side benefit. But how many know if you brush your teeth two minutes a day, uh, twice a day, that's four minutes a day, that's two hours a month? You could add two hours a month, two hours a month to prayer in your walk with God. Not only will you be more uh, cavity-free, but I think you'll be more captivated by the beauty of Jesus' by Jesus' presence in your life. And so this is what I do. It's whatever you do, whether you're walking to class, whether you're in commuting, whether whatever you're doing, build prayer. Find ways to build prayer into an area of your life that's prayerless. And then and, and watch just small incremental steps. Watch your heart begin to change and transform the, from the inside out. Secondly, David says that he would gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. I like to put it this way, to cherish his character. See, when we're in God's presence, we get to know who he is. And as we get to know who he is, we see how amazing and how awesome he really is. And I love that if we were to even simply ask in Psalm 27, what is, uh, how does God's character reveal to us? We see him uh, even just real briefly in, verses, in verse 1. And, and, and Tori just read it a moment ago. That the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. That the Lord is my light. That the one who spoke light into being, the one who, Scripture says, dwells in unapproachable light. 
the Lord, it's one thing to say the Lord is a light and another to say the Lord is my light. Here is personal faith application. That if the Lord is my light, that that means that I am his light and that wherever I go, his light is and I can dispel the very dark, darkness and the works of evil in this world. And, and, and I can be agent as, as, as of salvation because I have been one who's been saved. The Lord isn't just a light and he isn't just a salvation. He isn't just a stronghold. How many of you can say he's my light? He's my salvation. He's my rescuer. He's my stronghold. He's the one who gives me strength. He's the one who gives me spiritual sight. He's the one who gives me the safety and the security that we all crave and long for. And so here, I, I love this application of seeking God's face before we seek his hand. We didn't, Tori didn't read this far in the psalm, but in verse 8, there's a communal, actually in the original language in Hebrew, it's actually a communal command, an invitation to say, the Lord's saying, hey, seek my face. And no sooner does David hear that than does he declare, my face, Lord, your face, your face will I seek. Well, what's God's face? How many of you have heard the, the phrase that the eyes are the window to the soul? Right? Maybe you look at someone's eyes. We get, a lot of, we get a lot of that now nowadays, right? We can just see the eyes. So many much can happen to the eyes. But here's a, someone's face is their biography. In other words, when Scripture talks about the face of God, it's talking about his character. It's talking about who he is, uh, distinguishing it, but yet connected to his hand for what he does. So when we seek God in prayer, when we cherish his character, what we're doing is we're seeking him for who he is first, then simply just, not just simply for what he does. And so I like to put it this way, that if we only seek God's hand for what he does, we may miss his face. But if we seek his face, he's glad to open his hand to us. In other words, what I'm talking about, beloved, is that you need to make holy eye contact with your creator. And you can do that. You can do that. And we need to do that. And then the last thing, um, I want to invite Adam and Alyssa to come up, that I want to share is, is this, to walk in his wisdom to walk in his wisdom. David says it this way, to inquire in his temple or to seek him in his temple. And you see here, this idea of wisdom, of knowing what to do, right? Uh, of knowing how to apply what I know and how do I act, how do I respond to that? And wisdom here in scripture is directly connected to waiting. We see here at the end in verse 14 of Psalm 27. Uh, then I'll start in verse 13. He says, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Notice here that I believe that I shall look. Faith precedes sight. We can enter into this new season, to this new year, with the confidence, the confidence, having a certainty and an assurance of who God is, having a courage that I can face anything and not be afraid because of who is with me. And even better yet, who is in me, who lives in me. And so therefore I can wait. And in this word in scripture, such a rich word. Wait isn't just kind of passively waiting by, standing by, per, per, you know, binging Netflix and just kind of waiting for something to happen. No, no. Waiting is living with a constant, a constant attentiveness to the Lord. Maybe some of you maybe served as wait staff, right? And there's a customer that comes in and you're the host and you're just constantly checking in on what's going on. You need anything? Can I do anything? It's, it's that idea. But even more beautifully, the word for in Hebrew of wait, it literally means to be bound up and woven together like two cords bounded together into one strand. So in other words, to wait upon the Lord means that I position myself before him in such a way and say, God, I'm here. What are you doing? What are you thinking? What are you feeling? What are you saying? I, I want to know your heart. I want to have your mind. 
I want to live in light of your presence. And in that, God does something supernatural. Our souls begin to be bound up, begin to be caught up, begin to be woven together with God. And so I want to invite you, if you would, would you stand? And uh, we're going to, I'm going to pray, we'll dismiss, and we're going to sing that song, that chorus, Jesus, we love you, over you. And so if you need to go, feel free to do so, but we invite you to stay and to linger if you're able. And I just want to pray right now, Lord Jesus, in the name of, in the name of Jesus, in your name, by the power of your Holy Spirit, I pray that you would give us confidence in your presence, that you would give us courage, that we, are the one, that we are ones who know you and are known by you, that for those of us who are weary, who are facing our weakness, that we'd be ones that would wait upon you, that you would, as the scripture says, renew our strength. And so, Father, I pray that we would be a people, that we'd be a generation this next year that would say along with David, Jesus, be my one thing that I ask and seek, that we would dwell in your house forever, that we would pursue your presence. God, that we would gaze upon your beauty, that we would cherish your character, and Lord, that we would seek you in his temple, that we would be ones who walk in wisdom, that this is the one thing that we do above all else. It's not the only thing, but it's the one thing that influences everything else that we do. And so, uh, may it be so, God, by your grace and for your glory and our good. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen.